Oh my goodness. Hey, hi, it's Mike. Did you know that Abe and Bridget and me are trying to make a movie right now? Yes, right dang now. It's called Papa Bear and tells the poignant and hilarious true story of the time my dad came out as a gay furry when I was 17. Uh, if you care about that at all, please head to seedandspark.com slash fund slash papa hyphen bear to find out much more about the project, how you can be a part and earn really cool rewards for helping us out. See you there. Here's your pod. Thanks so much. Spiel boys are watching Stevie's movies. Spiel boys are watching Stevie's movies. Spiel boys are watching Stevie's movies. Spiel boys. Time and time again, we find ourselves back here in the orbit of Stevie. We, we, we two humble spiel boys. His exploding star sucking us in with his gravity. We cannot escape. Uh, that is Bathed all. Bathed in his stardust. <laughs> uh, that's right. He said it. We're the spiel boys. I'm Abe Epperson. I'm Tom Ryman. And we are the titular spiel boys. Uh, how about this one, Tom? <laughs> Terminal, 2004, a brisk two-hour film about a man stuck in an airport. It's real zany, ain't it? Yeah, this is an odd one. This has long been uh, a a, a Stevie blind spot for me. I have never seen this movie before. Oh, wonderful. Um, This was the first time. Uh, this sort of came out during a period where I don't know. It's we'll talk about it, but yeah, I just I missed this one for twenty years now. So yeah, and it's more or less like a Looney Tune. I think you enjoy it more if you look at it like that. Little bit Pink Panther and such. It really Mister Beans it up, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a little bit of Road Runner in there. A little bit of Road Runner, as yeah. we've learned, is something that Stevie loves and for good reason. Um. Yeah, there's a but lot it, of stuff to love in it. There's also, you know, early on before Hanks learns English, there's enough games with fool comedy and like immigrants. That's a little bit regrettable. You know, the old folly to the homage of the archetype. It's it's a little dated in that way. Before we yeah. begin to experience Victor as a three-dimensional character, it really does lean on some of those <laughs> oh, wacky foreigner tropes. Yeah, but it's Stevie, so you know it comes from a wholesome place of love, and or you know you, you assume it does, <laughs> uh, yeah. just because that's his mo. It seems, um, and you know, so that's that's what we're up to. That's what we're talking about today. Um, I think we should slide into our first segment. I think should we should we? too. I think we should. It's I'm I'm, I'm ready for sliding. It. Let's slide right into Amblin Man. That's right. This is the uh, context, the background of where Spielberg kind of was an artist before he made this film. And kind of w- like, what was this period? We're treating him like a Picasso, like a great painter. Yeah. That's... What's What was the stage of his career? What was like the mm. temperature of his vibe at the time? Yeah. What's going on with Stevie? Tell me about it, Tom. 
Oh, man. Well, I draw uh, a lot of what I'm talking about today from a book that I've referenced a few times, The Men Who Would Be King by Nicole Laporte. Um, it's specifically about DreamWorks, and this was a DreamWorks picture. Um, unfortunately, uh, if you know anything about DreamWorks, you know that it's sort of it was it was a it's sort of like a, a, a now legendary example of failure to launch, sort of. Um, where it just, it had all these lofty goals. It was this powerhouse production studio between Spielberg, David Geffen, and Jeffrey Katzenberg, and it just never lived up to its promise. And in 2004, when The Terminal came out, it was like right in the middle of one of the worst periods of DreamWorks. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd coming off uh, oh, the, the previous winter, a couple of bombs that were supposed to get them Oscar love that didn't, like uh, House of Sand and Fog. Um, and the animated Sinbad movie starring Brad Pitt, which that's like a fucking trivia question right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and like right before the terminal came out, they had a bunch of, uh, bombs that were all comedies, weirdly. Um, like Envy, that Ben Stiller, Jack Black movie, uh, Euro Trip and Win a Date with Tad Hamilton. So that's oh, yeah. the kind of real mid shit that we're talking about. <laughs> Do you think that when they look at <laughs> Do you think that Geffen and Spielberg look at each other and they say, like, we'll always have Shrek? I know Katzenberg says that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I know he really clings to that. Really just living up the Shrek dreams. Yeah, but yeah, like that string of titles I just read off, this is a dark time (laughs) for DreamWorks. Yeah, it's Euro Trip Dark uh, is what I would call that. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, this is like his two thousands run, right? Like he this is this is a po- this is one of his post nine eleven movies. Weirdly, this it is, yeah. And like, let's draw that for us. Like the two thousand one came with AI, and then two thousand two is Minority Report and Catch Me If You Can. Two films started before nine eleven happened, right. but then immediately we get Terminal, War of the Worlds, and Munich. Those are mm-hmm. like his post nine eleven films, which is interesting yeah they're all like really different takes on it basically of the five i listed uh there's two movies about airports and manipulation a film about predetermining someone doing a crime Mm -hmm. and a film about a seemingly unstoppable and unknown enemy and a film about religious warfare so yeah two of those productions predated 9-11 but you know i'm not so i'm not saying that it's not not on the table that Steven Spielberg knew about 9-11 before it happened. I have no sources. And frankly, I did not search. But, you know. Maybe he did. kind of knew what was going on. Maybe that's one of the secrets E.T. told him before he flew off to his <laughs> home world. I think it's kind of insane he had a run like this. Like, It's, it's nuts in retrospect. Like, at the time, it kind of felt like, it, it felt a little bit like Spielberg was doing mid-shit, like you said right. earlier. But, like, yeah. I think it's just because I wasn't quite old enough. Um, to be uh, introspective about 9/11, I was sort—I was 18 when it happened, so I was all very reactionary. Uh, not that right. I was not that I was a gung ho pro Iraq war guy, but it was all like you know when you're 18, you sort of react to the immediacy of things rather than sit there and ponder, well, what does this mean to me? What does this mean Culturally, for society at large? Yeah. What will this mean as the decades play out? <clears throat> and Spielberg was really thinking about that shit. So like watching War of the—I I had this experience when we covered War of the Worlds. But uh, watching it again, like I saw it in 2005 and thought it was kind of meh, but watching it when we covered it recently, I was like, oh, shit, this is like a gnarly ass 9-11 movie. Yeah, like, I, I get it now. So I'm, gl- I'm, I'm glad I saw The Terminal now as opposed to, as to yeah, 2004. Before you saw that. 
Yeah, for real. Because it's kind of, I mean, we will talk about that, but just I think it's interesting to note that career-wise, they are all not one topic, of course. Nothing is no, monolithic, but I we... I don't think the different topics can't coexist either. I think they, they could all right. be part of the same, uh, not opinion, but like the same way you feel about uh, what, what it right. means. Like It's yeah. like a multi-movie, like fairly complex series of thoughts that are kind of add up to like a wider statement in a row. And mm-hmm. that's unique for Spielberg. He kind of does you know, color purple or, you know, he does like his important movies, Schindler's list and all that stuff. Like he had something to say, but they're like, he wants to stay evergreen. Uh, he also kind of fancies himself a desperado. Um, something that we knew that in early days he was influenced by his peers and such, but also by the criticism, you know, he wanted to shuck that, you know, initially being typecast, uh, or like, being a typecast director, he didn't want to like be typecast as like kind of, you know, the guy who was doing car movies and such. And then Jaws came out and it was just like, oh, you rely on the blockbuster thrill based, you know, and then yep. he was considered too uh, over sentimentality, you know, like was his, you know, what they they accused him of and things like Hook and such and such. And then he made. Um, you know, so he started making Schindler's List, Amistad, Saving Private Ryan at the end of the 90s. <clears throat> and I think Catch Me If You Can and The Terminal were a bit of a return to like film basics. Like in Catch Me, it's all about editing and pacing. In Terminal, it's about space and frame. Um, and I think there's something in that. Is he, he needs to... He always wants to be, he considers himself that desperado, you know, like, ah, you can't contain me, baby. Uh, and this is, it's so it's weird to see that he's like, no, no, something huge happened. I'm going to make, you know, a few statements about kind of this one event and how it affected society. And that's, you know, that's unique for uh, the Amblin man, as we say. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't think he's done this before or since. Made made like a series of films about yeah. a, meditating about a single topic that is like a current event. Right. So. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> For real. So uh, I think that's that can wrap up Amblin, man. That's a good <laughs> it. Sure can. That's where Spielberg was, and let's move on to the next segment, the bulk sta- segment. You're doing it, Stevie. You're doing it, Stevie. Yeah, let's get into it. This is, we're going to go more or less scene by scene, talk about the themes, talk about execution, and just whatever the hell we want to and laugh about it. Um, okay, I'm the like quarterback this time. a couple of chuckle fucks. Yeah, yeah you are. We're having so much fun just talking about his movies. Uh, <laughs> movies. Movies. I like so, the movies. So the open image is not that great. First off, I want to say that usually Spielberg's uh, normal fanfare is to make the opening image of the film somehow a kind of parable for the movie or like a postcard of what you're about to see. And we just see like airport border agents. It's kind of expositional little, not a little metaphor that we're supposed to see. Um, But we learn that Tom Hanks is not allowed into the United States because of the fictional country, uh, Krakosia, which he's a citizen, has had a coup d'etat 
and they the US no longer recognizes his government and therefore his passport is uh, void. And Stanley Tucci explains this by pointing at a bag of chips and saying, Kokosia. The whole scene is, I mean, <laughs> I know what it's saying. <laughs> I, know, yeah. I, know, I know what the point of that scene is. But like the way that Stanley Tucci, who plays this guy, Frank Dixon, who's like the acting field commissioner of the airport. <laughs> he's just a real right. curmudgeon. Um, <laughs> the yep. way he plays him, is, especially in this scene, it's just like, what? Like... Why on earth would you think this guy who knows three words of English is following this explanation? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but of course, that's it's... the point. The point is, is that he doesn't care. He wants to dump him off. It's about bureaucracy and impersonalness getting and getting yeah. lost through the cracks and all these rules and borders and bureaucracies we invent that prevent human connection, I think, is the, exactly. one of the ultimately, and... ultimate uh, ideas. Which is why he immediately smashes a bag of chips in Tom Hanks' face. He's basically saying you're not a human. Yeah. Um, yeah, and because of the language barrier, Tom Hanks doesn't really understand what's happened. So we spend the first 10 minutes, 15 minutes in the movie, him just getting his head around the concept that he's going to have to live here because he can't go anywhere for a bit. Yeah, um, and I wanted to... Well, actually, that we can save that for the next section. Never mind. But I just real quick, uh, I'm sure you probably noticed this in your notes as well. This is based on a real guy. Oh yeah, yeah. To take it, to walk us down that path. Just, I mean, I guess we could go over it more in the next section. But I guess, do you feel like it belongs here? Or I don't. It's basically. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> all right, there was a guy named. I'm probably butchering his name, um, but Mehran Karimi Nasiri, who was stuck in Terminal One of Paris's Charles de Gaulle Airport. Um, for 18 years. Yeah. And then he wrote about Fuck. it in a book called The Terminal Man. Yeah. And he, uh, Stevie, bought the rights to this. Did you know that I, I read an article that said he died in 2006, two years after the film was made? He died of a heart attack in the airport. He was still living in the airport. Uh, and the concept is that he lost his refugee papers during an overlay and was denied entry to France. Uh, and he chose to live in the airport rather than like, well, if you won't let me get into France, I don't want to go home. So I'll just live here. And they're like, fine, fine with that for 18 years. 18 goddamn years. <laughs> that is wild. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. Anyway. So it's like, yeah, so it's it's Looney Tunes shit, but it's crazy that it comes from reality. You're right, and like, the real, get, and like yeah. the real life story was way, way more extreme. Right, yeah. Like, Tom real. Hanks is stuck for nine or ten months in this movie. This guy was there for two decades. Right, yeah. Which you just like, what? Solve yeah. that problem, right? Yeah. Why should <laughs> like, that be like, a thing? Yeah. Like, why, is, why is there a limbo? That's annoying and horrifying <laughs> at the same time. Uh, so he's brought to his new home, which is the International Transit Lounge. And he, um, the camera like swirls around him, so we know it's overwhelming, which is a thing that a lot of filmmakers do, but definitely Spielberg does. Uh, and yeah, he's definitely <clears throat> very small in frame for a lot of this first part of the movie. Right. Yeah, he's he's being absorbed by his background. Yeah, and he's uh, isolated, and you know, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. that's good stuff. All that good, good stuff oh, about yeah. movie making. 
<laughs> and there's some lines. He's like, what do I do? And the answer that he gets from, you know, the airport worker is the only thing you can do here shop. And we get our first capitalistic takedown of the mo- of the movie. Stevie versus capitalism. Let's go. 12 rounds. Uh, well, it's, you know, it's not that. Not it's not that it's impressive. Not, yeah, he's a corporate really, filmmaker, yeah. so he's not gonna <laughs> take it down. But he's gonna have some sharp words for capitalism. Oh boy! <laughs> the the one that was um, and this is a little, I guess it's a little heavy handed, but like you you the one you see the most consistently is Borders, Borders Bookstore. So like mm-hmm. in many many scenes, you're seeing the word Borders in the background. Yeah, he, he fell uh, in love with that because it's like a bookstore, and also it's like that's why he can't get to where he needs it's to go. What the movie going. is about, man? Like oh, borders. Why is the borders. Like we waste so to- so much time worrying about borders, which are made up, and it's getting in the way of us meeting each other face to face, human There's to human. Also Voss and uh, Burger King gets like real. Like Burger King at one point gets like a whole like four ads in a row because yeah. it's a montage of of Tom Hanks eating your Burger King. Nailed it, Burger King. Whoever got that scene in there. Well, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell God. you in the next section. I'll tell you in the next section. Ooh, I'm excited, Tom. <laughs> There's another another thing I, I appreciated, or I may mean, not appreciate it, but I thought it was kind of an interesting way to present it is like Victor, Tom Hanks's situation is he's stuck in sort of like a holding area or like a limbo or like a neutral zone essentially. And that's kind of also what like the airport is itself, you know, obviously both for, for people because it's people coming and going from many different countries and they're here together, but it also, it's reflected by all the different shops. It like, it almost feels like you're in the neutral zone and then there's all these other countries, all the different stores surrounding you just like with their loud ass signs and stuff. I don't know. it, Mm -hmm. it, It felt, it felt like a, like an, an additional hit on that theme to me. Um, it's it, meant to be oppressive because yeah. as we'll learn the movie that he was kind of parodying or like was really inspired by was more or less a vicious takedown of the French government's reaction to post-World War II, which was to modernize everything, which, you know, everyone was like sad about anyway, though. Um, <clears throat> He sleeps that night. He's sleeping now in an abandoned airport gate. Uh, it's seemingly un- under construction. He bathes in bathroom sinks. Uh, so we get the sense that he can do some immediate living. Food becomes a major issue soon. But we see some of our main players that are going to kind of be vignettes throughout the story. Zoe Saldana shows up as a customs officer. Yeah. And befriends... Uh, he befriends an unfriendly uh, janitor at one point. Mm-hmm. At least they start to have a rapport, and he eats condiments and crackers for food on the first day. It's whatever he can get um, for free because he yeah, loses exactly. all of the. He, uh, Tucci gives him a bunch of meal certificates, but he immediately loses them. He's, yeah, he immediately loses them because he it's wacky and zany and Pink Panther. Uh, Stanley Tucci's also lined up for a big promotion, and his boss is retiring. With his new boat, which we all know is the American dream. Just yachts for everyone, right? Yeah. And Stanley Tucci, who also loves to fish. He's got his eyes on that yacht, man. Uh, He can't recall that 
on day two, I believe, he can't recall that he forced Tom Hanks to live in the airport. He right. just assumed like, he would leave, I guess, and yeah, go get deported. He, he has to be reminded who he is. And then, yeah, I, th- I think the implication is that he just assumed the guy wouldn't listen to him and would just leave. Yeah, um, because so the next be prison, yeah. The next thing he does is try to sort of push Tom Hanks to walk out the door. Exactly. Exactly. Um and this seems like it'll, it's a something that will like affect his promotion which is his like one character want. So he's basically like go be free like Harry and the Hendersons. Well, he's also Yeah, it's, it's it's like his yeah. one want that's like a specific thing, but I feel like he also he seems to be like in, in D and D like alignment terms. I think you'd call him what like lawful neutral. Like he just all he all Tucci cares about is the letter of the law. So he is yeah. such a bureaucrat. He is so following. That's the what, archetype. Yeah, I mean you're absolutely right that that's like like he's just kind of representative of like the drum drum follow the right. rules and, kind of and thing specifically the obstacle nature of it, like the antagonistic right. nature of all this bureaucracy. Well, he definitely grows to a place where he just right. straight he starts, up is evil. He like starts, he's an evil man. He starts bending the rules. Yeah. As the movie yeah, goes he's on. He's just like, I just hate Tom Hanks. Right. He becomes obsessed with him for some reason. Oh, the teach. Uh, and then I very quickly it. lets him go at the end, but we'll get there. We'll get there. It's funny though. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, you can't deport. Victor, because he's not in America technically, so the point of the movie becomes this game of chicken between Tucci and Hanks, uh, who will budge. Tom Hanks eventually eventually meets Catherine Zeta-Jones, who is a flight attendant, whose first act in the movie, Tom, do you remember what her first act in the movie is? The first thing that we see? She falls. Her heel she breaks. She slips. Yeah, she slips on her ass because she's a charmer. Yep. I don't know. I just thought you'd get a kick out of that because it's like huge Ivan Reitman, Julianne Moore, and evolution energy. Like, <laughs> we don't have a character. We don't what have... could she do? <laughs> we don't have anything for you. Maybe you she can could fall down? She could be a klutz. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you're a klutz, lady. She, is, she is a bananas character in this she's, movie. Yeah, something else. Um, I get what she represents. Uh, but it's, right. it, it's, she's like, ah, she's barely a character. It's, I think it's the, the weakest part of this movie is trying to play up a romance between the two of them. I think it's a, yeah. Cause it, it, you get the feeling, especially with the, just the stars that are there that you're like, all right, so this is going to be like a real romance. And then you're like, no, remember it's built in the landscape of cartoons. All of the vignettes are one dimensional characters, with one want, I want to date Zoe's Saldana, you know, like it's, that's all it is. So it does feel weird that it's also like hints at the romantic arc, kind of like where this is a, like a romance, which arguably it is, but it's not supposed to be is what I would argue is just like a part of Tom Hanks's journey. Cause they definitely flirt. I mean, straight up they go like they're, Tom Hanks wants to be with her. They, but, go on a, they go on an airport date. They have a smooch, uh, but they ultimately but, go their separate ways. Yeah, exactly. And the whole movie is uh, as sexy as you can imagine. Catherine Zeta-Jones and Tom and Hanks. Tom Hanks. And Tom Hanks. Heating up the screen. And I love it because... Uh, <laughs> it's also it's also Tom Hanks wearing a selection of outfits that my grandfather definitely owned. Like yeah. they, they nailed the Eastern Europe style. 
<laughs> right. Because that is exactly how my Polish grandfather dressed. <laughs> <laughs> we get the first of several fun and game sections. That's really the fun. I mean, why you do a cartoon? Um, Tom Hanks uh, returns left out shopping carts because a kiosk dispenses quarters. Allows him uh, the movie allows him to like buy some. Uh, food with the quarters he finds books with hungarian translations so he can learn english so we get the feeling that a few days go by and he's doing all these things baby diego luna arrives i know he was so young i almost didn't recognize him i know i was like is that that, oh shit it's andor yeah and he's some kind of cargo driver he drives food around the airport and he notices that hank's spending a long uh, a, a lot of time alongside Zoe Saldana and he's like hey I'll broker a deal with you Hanks if you give me info on Saldana I'll give you food because it, you know I can tell that you're, he's you're yeah he's like a he's a baggage guy and he's given him the the flight meals basically the pre-wrapped yeah, tray flight meals exactly and it's like a classic meet cute through proxy thing like yeah, it's a real Cyrano thing yeah yeah does but this it- work on um, you, this any, this trope, like, because there's little bits where, like, Tom Hanks goes, like, yeah, he's a man of misery, you know, like, no cheat, which it's like, sounds like no no shit, but it, he means no cheating. Man of misery is man of mystery. Like, there's mm-hmm. little games they play. I don't know if it works on me. It, it, it doesn't, but I accepted it, if you that makes sense. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. okay, like... This doesn't really work on me, but I get that it's like supposed to be cute and it's in tone with the rest of the movie. So I'm like, I don't, I wasn't like angry with it. It just, it, it's not, it's not anything. It's, it's not anything it's to just, write home. It's just like too superficial, I think. It's just for like, me. yeah. And I guess what we're talking about is that like romance telephone thing. Like we've seen it multiple times, but mm-hmm. it's like so unrealistic and silly at this point that I'm like, we can retire it, I feel like. Right. It's so unrealistic that it builds to Diego Luna proposing to Zoe Saldana and she accepts and they've never spoken to each other before. Which is wild. It's a, Which is it's, absolutely wild. Man, Stevie, with your little... <laughs> Yeah, like, Whims- are- your whimsy and your dream dust—they <laughs> might as well be like cartoon mice. Like, it's honestly, just like, yeah, it, it yeah. really is like a couple of cartoon door mice. Yeah, like- just like having a dream and a song in their heart. Yep. Uh, everything's gonna be better. I'm uh, in love with but- that mouse because she has a bow in her head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's pretty much uh, it. The next move is from Tucci. The next uh, move, Chi. You want Hanks to just. Uh, <laughs> He wants Hanks to say he's scared to go back home so he can pass Hanks off to an immigration judge. And he makes a principled stand. So he gets, not he's trying to, to play get him the game. to say to, he's seeking asylum. Yeah. And uh, Hanks is like, no, I see what you're doing. You're t- trying to get me. Like, no, I'm going to play outside the rules. Baby, I'll wait. Oh, I didn't take uh, it like that. Oh, I thought I that took, he knew. No, I I took that Tom Hanks didn't quite understand because. Tucci is like, okay, all you you can go home, but all you have to do is say that you're afraid to go back to Krakosia. And he's like, okay, so this is a this okay, I'm gonna ask you the question and you just answer just like we talked about. Are you afraid of Krakosia? He's like, Am I afraid of Krakosia? No. I fear no, no. fear. So I, I feel like he was answering honestly and not doing he's a Bugs Bunny a, thing. Well, that's I, it's not Bugs Bunny. In fact, I think you're absolutely right in that, like, if you look at Clouseau or like Pink Panther, it's 
Schrodinger's kind of position on this. Like it, it's kind of both. And one, the filmmaker wants you to be like, yeah, serendipitously. He's, he's being endearingly honest to his own detriment. <clears throat> like it's, it's hurt. He's yeah. hurting himself with his honesty in this scene. To but point he, out the flaws. But it's charming. It's charming. Yeah. It's a real charm fest. Uh, <clears throat> we get a little bit more movement on Catherine Zeta-Jones. Uh, her little vignette. She's We witness her in love with man and then she's dumped. And Hank Sachs is like kind of an ear to her. Makes her laugh. She assumes he's a contractor because he's got a visitor badge and such. And, she and he's denies, there all the time. Or he denies her advances. Which is great. <laughs> we get a montage with Hanks uh, applying for jobs because he realizes that he must raise enough money to have a dinner with Catherine Zeta-Jones. And they laugh. They all laugh him away because he doesn't exist. He's a ghost in a hellish kind of landscape. Right. He's uh, locked in fucking limbo. He really is haunting this airport. Like he doesn't. He has no address. Like there's a comic scene where he's trying to get hired at, I don't know, fucking FYE or some shit. And he gives him the payphone phone number right outside the store as his phone number. Um, there's yeah, exa- exactly. And like, there's a scene that I find is actually seemingly innocuous, but is a horrifying scene. If you read it in a certain light, which is Tom Hanks finds a half finished wall in the construction area that he lives and he proceeds to finish the wall, apropos of nothing. What do you think causes him to do this, Tom? The feeling of control over one second of his miserable life? <laughs> his, his the 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 feeling of the love butterflies in his tummy. He wants to he he's, 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 to make a wall, and it's well, it's it's even more than that. it's like an unfinished wall that has water fountains on it. So he tears the mm-hmm. fountains out and builds like this cascading fountain of yes. with like this majestic tile work and he builds it all for Catherine Zeta Jones. Very good at carpentry. I think uh, I can't remember if the film says, but I think we're supposed to understand that he's some sort of contractor back in Krakosia. Yeah, he's like a builder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he clearly uh, knows exactly what to do when he's building stuff. I prefer to read this film as a man's descent into madness. Yeah. Well, I can, I can control this wall, damn it. <laughs> damn it. Uh, let he's, me like, out. he's like slapping tile on there, just screaming to the heavens, I still exist. <laughs> he's just Jonathan Price from Brazil. Uh, <laughs> so, t- yeah, turns out he's amazing. Uh, Who would have thunk it? Uh, he meets with uh, his familiar kind of airport workers, like the boys, you know, the dogs. They play poker. They x-ray Tom Hanks. Uh, They find out that there's a planter's peanut can that he carries with him everywhere. And we get our little mystery box Mm -hmm. uh, to dangle in front of us for later. We have another scene with uh, the Jones at a Borders. She's really into Napoleon. And uh, the only reason I bring this all up is that she says, I have to go. And he says, I have to stay, which is cute. And they're all being they're They're all playing their cartoon roles. Uh, meanwhile, Tucci knows he's getting uh, that Hanks is getting paid cash under the table, and turns out he makes more than Tucci, which is another knock on like the system, right? That it's like you're not even paid well, dude. Yeah. Uh, and so he hold and while that's he's ha- that's happening, and he's realizing it, and he's like kind of having a monologue, pontificating to his right hand man. He's gripping a literal controller, like a 
I don't know thing with knobs and shit. Yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah. very on the nose. It's he's, fine. He's, it's yeah, it's just like the borders that's constantly in the background. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, not a subtle a... movie. <laughs> it's not subtle, which is you know the. That's what I'd say about the early 2000s in our filmmaking in America. Not subtle. Uh, There's a bet in the office as to when he's going to leave. So it's like there's now a cultural aspect of Tom Hanks existing. People are starting to find him beloved and a part of the, you know, he's he's like the walls. He's he's a part of the system. Um, And this just infuriates Tucci. He wants, he tries to send Tom Hanks to prison. Yeah, he does. Um, <laughs> but in, and then, and and we get more Tucci. Then we get a sketch, a literal, like, it's, this I thought was one of the more interesting aspects of the film, which is then we just jump right into Tucci ha- is, uh, like, it's a Stanley Tucci ad in the middle of the film, how good he is at his job. Uh, and it's actually kind of hilarious because, he is trying to impress these his superiors and we get a few little vignettes for him where he's calming a situation down with a Bulgarian man. He's like perfectly like can identify who's carrying drugs with inside walnuts. Like he's just amazing at his job. And in order to solve this one particular moment in customs with a Bulgarian man threatening officers with scissors, he recruits Hanks to translate the miscommunication, which is definitely how it go in real life, Tom. Absolutely. Yeah. Everyone would just, oh, it's a big misunderstanding. We're the cops and we, we, oh, okay. Yeah, it's a little, it it, it comes off as a little um, um, Aaron Sorkin, (laughs) like a little wishful thinking. I mean, but that's Stevie. That's Stevie, baby. That's why we love him. He gives us those feels. Hanks kind of uses his knowledge of immigration forms to point out a loophole because it's Stanley Tucci's character to just crush all immigrants, apparently. Uh, it's remember a, this is 2004. Yeah, we are we are three years uh, off of 9/11. That was that was the climate. That was, in, that was the climate, especially yeah. in airports. Man, this is no fucking joke. Yeah, and the concept here is that the Bulgarian man uh, was bringing medicine to uh, cure For his, his father. Father, yeah. but Hanks knows that because he's been reading a lot of immigration forms, trying to get out of his own situation, that there's a loophole. Or if he says it's not for a family member, but rather for like an animal, his goats, like an animal or something that is his property, the man can go home with the medicine and like, right. He doesn't need save his father. It's like he doesn't yeah. need to have prescriptions to prove that he needs this medicine if it's for if he says it's for an animal. Right. And so now the game between Tucci and Hanks has escalated from your thorn in my side to I hate this man interrupting my desire to see people fail. Right. He wanted uh, to fucking obliterate this poor guy's life. And like you see Tucci's face just gets so angry oh, in this yeah. scene. He's like, curse you, Tom Hanks. And, uh, and your goodery. So he gets, uh, he, you know, point one for the good guys. The superiors see it and they go, oh, no, that's not how it's done. Uh, and in order. So like next scene, in order to evade Tucci. He uh, buys a suit um, because he's like, I'm going to, well, it's two point. He's like, one, I'm going to woo Catherine Zeta-Jones with this awesome suit. He's about to go on his airport date. Yeah. Yeah. And two, he's going to kind of help 
he's going to ask help of uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones to get him. Like, is there a way to get me out of the airport? Uh, And uh, he uses his boys to kind of help set up another meet. And they, so he's like planning on telling her everything, but like, it doesn't really go well because Catherine Zeta-Jones meets with Stanley Tucci. Um, and like, there's a whole, it's a bait and switch that occurs, like, because unknowingly, uh, what happens is Hanks tries to set up and do the right thing, but he's just too late. Um, they have kind of an elaborate private dinner just set up, uh, for the two of them. She confesses that she's been waiting on someone for seven years, which is rough. That's a yeah, rough situation. We get we get script. hints of it from overheard phone conversations and stuff. We mm-hmm. briefly see her with this guy that she's seeing, and we know that he's married, and like he's some big shot, and he's not ever going to leave his wife. So yeah, she's in she's in a dark situation. She's, she's in a dark denial. Yeah, and uh, but they throw their pagers triumphantly into the distance, to, as if to say, "Fuck the system," and our you know we'll we'll live for the now. Yeah, and Tom Hanks builds. What we think at first is just another wall, but it actually is something else, only to be interrupted by the most outrageous offer. I think you mentioned this. Uh, Diego Luna asks Zoe Saldana to marry him. We have that little, <laughs> that plays out. They've never met. God no, damn. They're, it is they're so just, over the top. <laughs> they, are, they were just happy with Tom Hanks. Again, a man with broken English description of each other. Yeah. She says yes. Because they're also, you know, she's she was a Trekkie. They're Trekkies. That's one of the things that they like. Uh, they're all about. I just think it's interesting that they're both in the Star Wars and Star Trek. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> it's just weird. We're just like, yes, they are nerds. Steven Spielberg <laughs> knew that too. What doesn't he know? Can he be stopped? Will he kill us all? Uh, <laughs> How much did E.T. tell him? Yes. Uh, what do you know? What are your Spielberg secrets? Tell us your secrets? Stevie secrets. <laughs> Tucci. So that then, yeah, we get that scene where in Tucci interrogates. Wait, 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 wait. You Steve, got something? Steve Critz. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Is that anything? <laughs> yes. We got it. Boys, we got it. Uh, yeah, so this is where we get that, like, if this were a romance, which I guess it technically is, kind of. but it's not exclusive to that, um, this is where we get that, that beat of, uh, Tucci muddies the waters, uh, he tells Catherine Zeta-Jones of everything about Tom Hanks, so she thinks he's a maniac, um, right. I also love in this scene, <laughs> Stanley Tucci's character pauses the movie and says, look, you're so hot, Catherine Zeta-Jones. We have to understand it for the audience. Why Tom Hanks? <laughs> Break <laughs> right? this down. Like he he literally says, legal like, this, yeah, like, <laughs> this down Draw me a diagram. <laughs> and I honestly think that that's Stevie covering his ass. He's like, I really want to work with Catherine Zeta-Jones. Does Catherine Zeta-Jones and Tom Hanks work for you? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe don't not. Know. Maybe not. I mean, that's just, I know it's all Hollywood fanfare anyway, but uh, this meeting, I mean, turns out she does love older men. Uh, this yeah. meeting implies that she now knows the truth about Victor and they could have been together if not for this terrible lie. And so when she kind of uh, is in his space and he arrives back and realizes, oh shit, you know everything about me he points out because they have this napoleon thing going he's like what it 
what did uh, Napoleon give to uh, his lover? And we find out that he's built a fountain for her as a reference to the Napoleon shit. And she fucking loves it. But she does think he's a maniac. So yeah, he like, shows <laughs> He lives her. in an airport and builds fountains to express himself. Yeah. Yeah. And then then his next knee-jerk reaction is to show her the old peanut can. Uh, it reveals well, why he's in New York. Doesn't Tucci put that in her mind? Yes. Isn't Tucci like, like, have you ever asked him what's in that coffee can? Like, he thinks it's anthrax or something. Know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the implication of, you know, it's the immigration thing. It's Stevie's playing with that shit. Um, but yeah, so the whole story, what's in the peanut can? His father saved a shit ton of big name jazz musicians signatures, and he's here to get the last signature for his father. And she's just all hot about his fountain and that story. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how that scene ends. Nothing happens from it. They're just like, that's why Right there's a, there's a conflict. He explains that she's fine with it. Right. And it's immediately resolved. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. She's like, yeah. How can you do this? How can you do this? Let me show you my peanut can. Oh, cool. Oh, <laughs> yeah. shit. That's a pretty magical peanut can. That's a great story. And now you're, you're a-okay in my book. Cause you're not a maniac. Cause you have a peanut can. No, I mean, I believe you're it. Just a, you're just a fountain building dude with a heart of gold. So a pe- weird. A peanut can in his heart. I mean, it's a beautiful fountain, though. Like beautiful. It's fountain. pretty sweet. Yeah, it doesn't work, as I remember. <laughs> like, doesn't yeah, he try does. to turn it on and the water doesn't work? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's works in progress, man. Uh, but then the next morning, the war is over, and now he's got a reason to stay. Catherine Zeta Jones has got finds finds him in the, while he's celebrating with all of his with his boys and all of like the whole airport is into him at this point. And she's like, I got a one day travel visa to New York. Uh, I found, well, it's like my friend who's hooked up, you know, gave me an emergency one. And, uh, but she says like, and he's like, you go with me. Like now we're, you know, now we're an item. Right. And she's like, no, because the person I communicated to get you that visa is the person who, uh, I've been waiting for. And now that we've kind of been reunited, like you were, that was your role in this story. You were never going to be the guy. You were the guy that led me to the old flame. Uh, and now he's in the picture, which is wild. That's a wild turn of events. Yeah. Um, it's a really, out- really crazy thing to happen at the very end of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> is Catherine yep. Zeta Jones to come in out of nowhere? I got you a day pass. You can, it, it was, I don't know. It felt, it felt a little sweaty to me when it happened. Yeah, it stays ex machina. Yeah, it sure, sure is. <laughs> yeah deus zeta jones <laughs> i don't know uh the deus uh, zed machina zed machina there it is turns out the emergency visa needs to be signed by the tooch who tooch fuck who gives hanks his passport and visa and he says just go home buddy i don't even want to fight you anymore just go home but hanks is like no i got my visa sign it and I'm going to go to New York now because he's a principled, principled man who has a, you know, a mission to accomplish. And he's been waiting there 10 fucking months to do it, too. Like, I. Yeah. <laughs> and to which, Tom. I know. Tucci threatens to deport all his friends. Tucci has a <laughs> meltdown. <laughs> 
who are workers in his employ, by the way. Right, he's trying to deport his own staff. His own workforce, and he's like, I wouldn't do this normally. I'm fine. I'm entirely fine uh, just employing illegal immigrants or whatever. Like, I don't give a shit. The main one is uh, the the janitor, um, Gupta, who we learn... Yes. It's like wanted in his home country for stabbing a policeman. (laughs) (laughs) In the middle of this whimsical story. (laughs) (laughs) There's also a scene of him just watching people slip on like the water. It's like a a running gag with him. He he, he mops the floor, puts the wet floor signs up and just sits by and watches as people he's, ignore them and fall on their literal ass. Literal psychopath. Yeah, he's kind of a, he's kind of like the jigsaw killer yeah. in this movie. <laughs> yeah, he really comes out of nowhere. It really escalates quickly, right? Uh in that in that way, uh his friends plea for him to fight it because he's Hanks like relents. He's like I'm not going to let you Tucci deport my friends. So they lay down their life for him. And this is another thing the janitor does, which is he runs at a plane in order to stop it. That ensures his deportation because it's a criminal offense. You know, the cars come and pick him up. But it's like, I guess that helps Tom Hanks. I guess. I think it just distracts them. And also, it he's, just distracts, he's sort of that's like... Right. Cause Tucci was was you was kind of trying to blackmail Hanks using well I'll right. I'll deport your friend Gupta and he runs out and forces the issue. Like, yeah. Well, they caught uh, me now, so they're gonna find out that I stabbed this policeman and I'm gonna get deported. Um, right. But Tom Hanks, you can flee to New York City and have your jazz man sign your peanut can. That's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he does. He gets that damn signature. And then yeah, back from, to the airport. Um, Benny Golson actually is the musician, and he's in the movie as himself. And he's in the movie, yeah. Uh, and I love that the last kind of like series of shots is getting into a taxi cab, back to the airport with Pete Hornberg from Thirty Rock, and that's how we all die. Uh, and, that, and that's the terminal. Uh, yeah. I just love Tucci screaming in his office during like the breakdown, like an evil weasel. Yeah, like teach, Tucci's yeah, great. I love Staley Tucci. He's just flailing around. <laughs> <laughs> he's 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 a perfect bastard in this movie. Yeah, uh, I you know, but like but like a, a like a a Spielberg bastard. Where like at the very end, oh yeah, like Tom Hanks has gotten into a taxi somewhere, and Tucci's out there with all of his men. They're like, "Do you want us to to close the airport off and we can go car to car? We'll find him." And Tucci's like. Nah, let him go. Yeah, let him go. Real Spielberg gone. bastard. Yeah. Yeah. Relents like, at the I very end. I see the point of all of this now. Yeah. It truly was a Forrest <laughs> Gump. Um, it's so Stevie to make the point of the journey to learn American culture and be immersed in American culture. Jazz, baby. Right. Hey, look at all this jazz we got. Well, yeah, his whole goal is to get a signature from a jazz musician. So that's like, it's about culture that is human and it's right. meant to cross borders. And it's culture that shouldn't be specific to any nationality because it's all about making a human connection. And that's like true what the whole movie is about. Uh, but in it my is opinion. patriotic because it's fundamentally Americana. It jazz is. It is, is, jazz a, is American. a fundamental American art form. That's true. 
but, but it's like, wholesome as fuck. Yeah. yeah that, it's yeah, about it's, somebody coming from halfway across the world to experience American culture. And it's about mm-hmm. sharing and rejoicing in, in that, in that human connection. Like we're not meant to be so defined by these borders. And the movie even seems to be saying that we, we should, we're not meant to live within borders. Like borders are, meaningless and and transitory like exactly. his country falls and is restored immediately and it's like it's just this make-believe line that we keep drawing and and, and it, it's ever-changing it, it remind the um repeated visual motif of the arrival departure board that keeps flipping over mm-hmm. times and and destinations kind of reinforced that idea in my mind it's like oh it's just like the borders where it's it's not static it's ever-changing um it's so ever it's kind of like stupid exactly. that we're so beholden to all these lines we draw and all these rules and bureaucracies that we create that are also ever changing. Like the rules are different. It's like a constant joke that we make about going to the airport or like going to the DMV or something, a very bureaucratic process where you never know exactly what the rules are. Cause nobody will ever tell you. It's like, I don't know if I'm bringing all the right forms because I, you're yeah. not telling me. Um, and it's that yeah. madness that line, that uh, kind of, yeah, the more I do read it, I don't read this film as a man's descent into madness, but it's like he's faced with a form of existential absurdity and it's painted on the backdrop of a hellish like capitalistic landscape where all you can do is buy and consume. Um and that's something that Stevie I mean, there's a little teeth in it for Stevie. He's I think so. It, it, really, yeah. It's because rather than recognize his basic humanity, like the first thing Tucci says to him is go shop. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's Tucci. Actually, it might be his second in command that says that. Yeah, second. Yeah, it says that's all you can do here. Um, so it's like they they rather than recognize his basic humanity, the first thing they recognize is his ability to be a consumer and exactly. just plug him into that. And then, of course, that falls away, and he just becomes part of the family of the air of this airport. Um, <laughs> Which is wild. Yeah, I mean that's wild. But yeah, you it's, know, it's, 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 it's the, bananas. But like, I think it's the cute basic. And- emotion that he's getting at is totally valid it's like all this all this crap just dehumanizes us we need to peel it all away and then you see who these people all actually are and and how they can uh, interact and connect with each other in in meaningful ways exactly also stevie points out something i noticed this watching is uh his method the methodology that Tom Hanks employs is kind of like here's here's how I fight my wars waiting uh he he does it his father talks about doing it with the jazz musicians it feels tailored to like middle america like point to stevie like just a good wait steady as she blows yeah you know you're the middle of america and what do you do you sometimes you got to wait and just be a it's uh, a little in the sea of others. <laughs> it's a little turning the other cheek, right? Is right. he's just like, yeah. well, I can just endure this. Like he just keeps enduring all the ridiculous shit that Tucci I mean, un- unloads on him. That it's classic tale, right? That's Rocky. How yeah. does Rocky win a symbolic victory by getting the shit kicked out of him? Fucking ass beat. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like that's so. That's our champion. Yeah, that's America's boy yeah, right there. He took it. <laughs> he just fucking took it. Um, and that's what Stevie wants to say about middle America. Just take it. Just take your medicine. 
<laughs> uh, I but, don't think he says that. No, no, I think you're right. The like a salt of the earth type thing, where it's like this right. is this is real people. We're getting down to the real people, and that's that, and what I'm stripping that away too. all this yeah. bureaucracy and all these silly rules and borders we invent for ourselves. It's um, always something he he always wanted to be like. I make movies for common people, you know, like some yeah. universal themes, stuff like that. So he's he's always he's always shooting as wide scoped as possible, um, and so those are some things that are indicative of it. There's um, yeah a tiny kernel, I think, of some uh, criticism of the surveillance state. Maybe it's not yeah. that tiny of a kernel, but where I picked it up was some of the stuff with Gupta and then some of the a lot of the stuff with with Hanks and how it's like like Tucci demanding to know what's in his peanut can or something like that. Where it's like this movie seems to almost be a little bit like lamenting the loss of anonymity of like your ability yeah. to disappear or like not be uh, documented and and listed and indexed in all these places and uh, and how that's yeah, he maybe lives in a glass panopticon ultimately you yeah know? so like there's this concept that he's always surveyed by the police state which is Tucci and that's literally showed by him controlling the cameras and uh, the fun and games kind of Pink Panther games that. Uh, Victor plays which is he can outrun some of the cameras or you know find the blind spots because once again falls through the cracks <laughs> um, and but there's also there is early on with the uh, airport workers there's also surveillance the concept of um, uh, not just you hiding from the police state but other people surveying uh, other members of the society you know like there's uh, he's a CIA agent at one point is what they they all ha widely have like thoughts of this is what this is what he is. Tom Hanks is this guy who's out to get us. Mm -hmm. He's almost like several characters uh, ad hoc position. And of course, they're proven wrong because that's what Stevie wants to do. in this. Right. It's like yeah. he's it's uh, the, like if you not knowing everything about a person makes you distrust them. Is sort yes. of what he seems to be talking about, and like with the peanut exactly. can, and like what you were saying, like oh, we don't know what he's here for. It's like, exactly. He's just he's just here, man. I don't know. So <laughs> like, he's, he's he's nipping at the uh, you know he 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 knows what America's doing wrong. I think, uh, you know, he's a corporate filmmaker, so there's only so much he could say. I yeah. mean, you you form your own opinion on that as you may but you know yeah it, i mean it's not this is spielberg baby this is this is a pretty whimsical version of a scathing right. indictment <laughs> so it's not particularly scathing but like right it's there <laughs> i mean there's this quote that he has stevie which is i wanted to do another movie that could make us laugh and cry and feel good about the world this is a time where we need to smile more and hollywood movies are supposed to do that for people in difficult times I think he entirely means that, and I think that's what yeah. the movie is. I think um, that's I think that's accurate. There's one thing I want to um, talk about right before we get in the next segment, uh, which is: uh, Have you seen Playtime? Do you know what I'm talking about with Playtime? No. Heard of the movie? You heard about this? Uh, you seen this? 19... You heard about this? Uh, Jacques Tati is a filmmaker uh, who had a very popular French kind of. Uh, clown character called Monsieur Hulot and 
there's it's 1960s uh france is rebuilding 50s 60s like i think the film actually is supposed to be take place in the 50s and it's about the modernization of france after you know all of its major cities were destroyed by the war so everything and all of the culture of france their you know their buildings and like their squares all the things that made you know france feel like france were bombed and so they replaced it with these skyscrapers and modern glass concrete structures and there's a grievement that happens with in this in that film and it's i really suggest everyone find it it's one of those movies that like i think that anyone of any movie viewer will get a kick out of it because it does this special thing it's basically a silent film um and what it does is it like creates a setting where the background is uniform almost always in some way. It's meant to kind of gaze your eye like an intricate pattern can become noise to us like a magic eye. So like repetition is something that the film will do a lot in creating a kind of canvas within a canvas for you to see something pop out of the background. And this allows things in the foreground and in select parts of the screen to pop out of their landscape. Um, and it's amazing at doing this game and just training you essentially to uh, look for all the different layers of tricks and jokes within that system. Um, and it builds your expectation and you kind of have to scan the film to see, you know, like a Where's Waldo kind of way, searching for bits. Um, and there is a lot. I mean, not only Spielberg has openly said, it's kind of my love note to playtime. But also, there's just a, he just straight up goes for some, like, not stealing the bits, but paying homage throughout the movie. It's a fun thing, and it's also about the, there's a lot of skating viewpoints on the bureaucratic kind of grayscale world that uh, modernism kind of exhibits. And an airport is like, in terms of the, like, it being a liminal space that is like, Everything is sleek and clean, and it can offend nobody. Really, <laughs> like really that. sterile. Yeah, really sterile, and has no life or culture in it. Mm -hmm. uh, so, also color-wise, the terminal isn't as controlled as playtime, which is remarkably controlled. It's one of the things where you, it's like visually a feast, but it definitely takes a lot of pointers in terms of like, oh, I notice him out of all of the background of people because of. Stevie's really good at positioning and distracting your eye. So he's really just kind of paying homage to it. And it's a really good homage. So I encourage people to watch Playtime and watch The Terminal again and kind of enjoy that experience. Anyway, that's enough on Playtime. Sweet. I'm going to watch sweet, that. Though. Connect yeah, those watch dots. Watch shit, dude. It's fucking yeah, no, fun definitely. as hell. Yeah, I'll watch it. <clears throat> Let, let's, let's walk into... Let's take a brisk walk into our next segment. On the moving, on the moving walkway. Mm -hmm. This one's called Teamwork Makes the Dreamworks, SKG. Oh, yeah. So this is uh, the team working behind the scenes, fun trivia. Tom, do you have anything for us? I've got some trivia, some production notes, some Ooh. BTS behind the scenes tidbits. Yeah. Um. So... Stevie was really uncertain about this movie. Um, he did screen tests of it, which, uh, according to the men who would be king, um, he hadn't done since Jaws. 
And that's a pretty big deal for a guy like Spielberg, who is basically anything you make is guaranteed to be uh, released in theaters. Um, and then he also shot two different endings for the movie. I don't know what the other ending is, um, but I assume it might be on the DVD. Uh, but yeah, so he kind of wasn't, wasn't sure about this one, um, which I thought was interesting. Um, they built, uh, yeah. even, even though the movie takes place in JFK, uh, which is the airport in New York city, um, the set that they made for the airport itself is actually a replica of Charles de Gaulle airport, which is where the real life guy was stuck. Yeah. I love that you realize some, most people probably don't even realize almost all of this movie's sets. Mm-hmm. It's fucking nuts those uh, there, are huge i know well there's a there was actually a really um a, the the big reason for that uh was because post 9-11 during this period you could not film in american airports period <laughs> and the reason for that was 9-11 9-11 so he had an entire replica of charles de gaulle airport built in the mojave desert that is huge mm -hmm. in fact it's so huge that they needed to use uh, or they didn't need to, but Stevie used a uh, is one of the first feature films to utilize, if not the first, because I can't think of anything. Maybe Gladiator, probably not. That's a, a little earlier. Uh, this elaborate thing called a spider cam, and it's what they use in stadiums. They like rig on the ends of stadiums, so that gives you the, you know, the vision. It's the of it's, how the, it's the XFL camera, is. right? Yeah, exactly. And it, it, and it actually is like British kind of thing because they, a lot of our games will just solve it with like, ah, just throw some more cameras in there. And we have the sky cam, but this is like, was a souped up brother that was actually for more like uh, rugby and like cricket and stuff because those pitches are a lot more like, and soccer, like you want to like get close and also be far away in a single shot but also scanning across the entire spread of the field. So it's these essentially rigged suspension kind of uh, these riggings that hold cables and this thing can move vertically and horizontally in space at any combination diagonally. And it basically just can make the whole, like you can put a camera anywhere in physical space over laid over something and that's what he did with the sets because they're so enormous he needed to get the technology that you use to shoot stadiums so that's, that's nuts yeah. yeah um related to earlier you mentioned the burger king scenes where burger king gets a lot a lot of feature oh, yeah. time um the set the massive set was partially paid for by all of the different brands and storefronts that you see <laughs> in the movie that's why i mean <laughs> Although, I, I, although according to the book that I read, the men who would be king, not as many as Katzenberg would have liked. <laughs> of course, that's the thing that, like, oh man, I think about this a lot because it's also like, well, that's how you get it done. Uh, it's also like, yeah, but don't, don't you shill for all these companies? <laughs> but I guess that's as America as apple pie, baby. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's just something. Here's, uh, he's a corporate filmmaker. He's like, yeah, I'll take. Who wants in on this movie? I'll give you a shot, Coke or Burger King. It's kind of <laughs> borders. Uh, there's some exec at Borders who's like, "Does it feel like he's dunking on us a little bit?" <laughs> uh, probably, but so they're I'm, like, whatever. 
I'm sh- like the movie had a sixty million dollar budget, although it's rumored to have been higher, and it's unclear because that set would have you would think that would cost a, a sizable chunk of that. It's they built a replica airport. That's nuts. <laughs> yeah, it's, you are an insane person. And but- Spielberg f- not helping the budget was the fact that Spielberg flew to the set each day in a Sikorsky S seventy six helicopter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Out in the middle of the desert. <laughs> in the middle of the desert. Mm-hmm. Do you expect him to yeah. drive? No. No. <laughs> Stevie's not driving through the desert. Fuck off. Uh, this is the first Spielberg film to use the digital intermediate. I. What's I that? Know. I just love the, the. What's that? What's that? Digital intermediate is this thing called like you create a digital copy of the film, uh, like work print. And you then put that in a computer and gr- color grade that stuff. And then that's the final form of the movie. So it, sometimes you bounce it back to film. That's probably what Spielberg did here because, you know, he's just like projectors are still alive and well. But now it's not even there's no actual film it's projectors digital, in movie yeah. theaters. So but that was 2000 when Oh Brother Where Art Thou came out. And uh, that's Coen Brothers. And they uh, were the first to really use it and it's because they wanted to have a very controlled like kind of fantasy look kind of fairy book everything is yellow and brown it's that sepia um, thing <clears throat> and in this film they used it to kind of desaturate specific stuff that they is harder to do uh with just you know analog chemicals um but there's three movies two or three movies uh that happened before that craze because like once once the Coen Brothers did it, every movie did it. After that, they were like, "That just looks better." Yeah, and that really also, that really took oh, off after that. Yeah, a lot of people argue like if you ever watch like the Harry Potter films or whatever, and you're like, "Why does everything look like that in the 2000s?" This is why it's just a new technology existed, and everyone's like, "Oh, we could do stuff like Sin City, or like make things look really stylized color wise." And uh, Stevie, it took Stevie two films before he was like, "Okay." I'll I'll use the technology. He's a very practical man. Yeah, uh, he's not like George Lucas, who's like, oh, it's a new thing. I have to make a movie with it. It took uh, it took Stevie forever to get his movies onto DVD. Like I, I remember it being a yeah. long wait for some of those movies. Yeah, for he was, uh, slow a to adopt. Yeah, <laughs> for a pioneer of technology, specifically in movie making. It's interesting in that in the distribution and kind of post-production aspects, he he is hesitant. He's he 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 knows the tools he knows, and he doesn't necessarily is against change. But he's like, ah, I'm gonna wait, which yeah. I think is pretty smart. You know? I no, I totally get that. Yeah, Where it's like, well, no, I There's, know how to use this version of Photoshop. If I update it, I'm not gonna know what what any of this is. Right, and there's great <laughs> filmmakers like Robert Rodriguez, George Lucas, who you know are just like this new technology i'm going to find a way to you know fuck with it immediately uh because that's what their vibe so anyway that's just something of note digital intermediate changed the way we see movies forever uh what else do we got uh we're talking about the teamwork this Mm. one has michael Kahn, john williams this is like standard stevie missionary position in terms of his crew <laughs> mish position yeah right it's even got Yanus kaminsky uh, hell yeah. uh, shot it again 
a longtime collaborator at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was Saving Private Ryan. Yes. So the Saving Private Ryan guy shot the terminal. I love that. Just shows how versatile Kaminsky really is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I don't know. Anything I've got else a, for, from you? I've got a couple uh, more notes just about sort of the reception of the movie. Like, I think the movie <laughs> is more fondly remembered now, but this was considered kind of an embarrassing flop for Spielberg at the time. Um, it only grossed two hundred and twenty million worldwide, though. Worldwide, yeah, but it only grossed seventy-seven million domestically. Yeah, that's not which the greatest, and especially as I said at the top, this was like a dark period for DreamWorks. So this was like they were really, really upset over this film's release. Which interestingly, um, the movie did twice that number uh, internationally. Like you pointed out, it 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 came out as as a success in the end. It was marketed mm-hmm. by two different groups. <laughs> DreamWorks' oh. internal team marketed it domestically, and then they used another group called UIP for the international, and internationally it did way better. So no. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe um, DreamWorks needs to get their shit together. <laughs> it was, man, you got to read this book, The Men Who Would Be King. <laughs> it really, <laughs> everyone listening, if you're, inter- if, you're, if you're enjoying Spielboys as a show and as a concept, you should read The Men Who Would Be King by Nicole Laporte. It's, DreamWorks was... The Wild West, man. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, um, just how the movie was received at the time. Uh, it's got like a 61 on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's generally favorable. But at the time, it really, like, the the contemporary reviews were, were more harsh, uh, to the point where Variety's editor-in-chief, Peter Bart, wrote in a memo, quote, Is it possible Sir Stephen is suffering a case of the middle-aged blahs? Has the man who always makes magic somehow misplaced his wand? Such a weird thing. Yeah. Because it's like, I want I want to suck your dick, Stevie, but also I'm disappointed. Like, yeah. It's very weird. It, 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 a lot of these uh, film I guess critic writers write very effusive language, but yeah. I started this podcast with like a... Like, we are in Stevie's orbit. He is our god, which is a weird thing to say. <laughs> apropos of nothing, I get it. Uh, I don't know. We're the Steve boy, Stevie. We're the Spielboys, though. Yeah. You know? That's, so, that's, like, that's our that's we our part of this. That's what we're yeah. about. Yeah. So, I don't know what this guy's fucking problem is. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, I brought that quote just to sort of illustrate, like, people were not into this movie, at least it's, not in America. It's making me mad, Tom. When it came it's out. me up. <laughs> but yeah yeah i see his point a little bit like it's i i do see how it kind of feels because it knows it's talking about these issues that are like hotbed issues that polarized america forever and um he was treading lightly and when you tread lightly those are not something where a critic is going to be like bold steps stevie bold steps yeah Um, you you always run the risk of not just being surface level (laughs) When, you, when you're trying to play it safe with something that's trying to be incisive commentary or, or incisive viewpoint. But, I mean, everything Stevie says is right. Uh, <laughs> these are all helpful, centrist things to say. Uh, it's just funny because I would say on the other side, you didn't go, you didn't go far enough, Stevie. You can really let him have it. Yeah, really. you, you didn't you didn't go hard enough with this like Frank Capra Looney Tunes movie. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Just the most wholesome shit. Just like this is. Horrifying. I'm saying, go straight Brazil. Have him. Have Tom Hanks 
like die inside the ceiling and like hang out of it out of it at the end of the movie. <laughs> like he's become absorbed by the machine. That's the movie I want to see. Yep. He just tight tiles himself into the wall. <laughs> like a Robert De Niro pops out and in like a spacesuit. Anyway. Uh yeah. This uh that it it's got mixed reviews. It did moderately well. I wouldn't call it a flop. No, but, uh, no, but yeah. that was sort of that. That was sort of the rap it got at the time. Like yeah. people, people were not happy with this movie, so it sort of got saddled with the stink of being an embarrassing bomb for Spielberg. Even though, as you pointed out, it, it made two hundred twenty million dollars mm-hmm. on a budget of sixty. Mm-hmm. That's a win. I mean, it is Stevie. It is all. Stevie. That's yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. What else? Anything? I got. I got nothing. <laughs> then let's go. Let's cross this finish line as fast as we can. Uh, and we're going to enter our final phase. <laughs> our final form. <laughs> Close encounters of the word kind. Ooh. Ooh. Technically, these are log lines for the film. So what we do is we like to play a little game here. Where at the end of these podcasts, we like to list technically true log lines of the films that are, I don't know humorous like what are we here for they're, what are we doing <laughs> they're mischievous they're mischievous yeah we'll, 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 we'll say each one and then you'll think god these guys are a bunch of little stinkers <laughs> these guys are little stinkers yeah. little spiel boys all right so <laughs> i got like five you want to go sure all right airports am i right it is very much that movie. <laughs> it is very, very much that movie. Alternate, uh, alternate. A man's flight gets delayed. Yeah. I figured that was too easy, so I wanted to come up with. <laughs> Stanley Tucci, powered by the potential of yachts, ruins a man's life. Hell yeah, man. Yachts yes. make people say yes when they should say no. Yes. Over the course of 10 brutal months trapped in a foreign country, a man learns he has no close friends or family. Yeah, that's fucked. Nobody's looking for him, Abe. Nobody's looking for him. <laughs> no one. He's the loneliest man. Does he, he have a job? Because he's definitely fired. Ugh, like, poor man. <laughs> he's probably the subject of an Unsolved Mysteries episode. <laughs> that's true. He also probably <laughs> stabbed someone. That's true. Uh, stabbed a police officer in the heart. Krakosia Airlines. Yeah, fuck it. We'll fly one man to America. We don't give a shit. They were about to... The whole ass plane was about to carry this man. <laughs> He's the only citizen who flew out of the country that day. They made a, they made a, 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 a whole stop for one man. <laughs> a man leaves on a jazz pilgrimage and becomes the most famous missing persons case in his country's history. <laughs> Victor Navorsky got on an airplane and was never seen again. <laughs> uh, for an airport janitor, watching people almost die is, quote, the only funny he has. He later confesses to stabbing a man. We really learn a lot about him from those two really? things. <laughs> All right. Two weirdos go on an airport date. Yeah, that really is all that happens in the movie. It's a lot of waiting. Mm-hmm. And, and they then are t- they have a date. They are two little and freaks. The movie's over. Two little freak weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> a man is unable to wash his balls for weeks. Oh, man. He's, he's got to be smelling soupy. Hey, he uh, dipping him in the toilet? Ah. 
Just kind of, just kind of dip your undercarriage in there and flush the toilet a few times. It's like, it's like yeah. being in a, it's like a bidet. It's like being in a washing that's, machine. Yeah, that's some out of, out of the box thinking. Hell yeah, I like man. that, Tom. Yeah, that's the kind of thinking that makes a, a wall fountains in an airport. Or zombie apocalypse leaders. All right. <laughs> <laughs> a man is kidnapped by the U.S. government while trying to fulfill his father's unreasonable wish. True. That is an unreasonable ask. Of your son who's never gone to a foreign country. Your, I don't know, 55-year-old son. Go track down this one saxophone player in a country of billions. <laughs> Find him. And, and what's the best thing is... Only then your destiny. He drives 15 minutes from the airport and just immediately sees yeah, this Yeah, it's guy. like immediately right there, which is hilarious. All right, my last one. A construction foreman loses his mind at the abilities of a magic worker who appears out of nowhere, and he is terrified to intervene. That's true. I forgot about that subplot. Yeah, he's hiding behind. He's hiding behind a part of the wall, watching him work, and he goes like, "I'm afraid to even ask." Man. Right? Like he thinks he's a genie or something. <laughs> he absolutely thinks he's a genie. I don't want to make him angry. <laughs> This is the best thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> uh, and that's Stop the Music. Mm. There we go. Close Encounters of the Word Kind, baby. And you know what that means, ding, ding, ding. That's a wrap on the episode. Ah, man, that's a so, that's another delightful installment of Spielboys. Abe, <sighs> I'm so excited to be a Spielboy with you. I'm so glad we're doing this show. We're going to... When do we get our mat- matching uniforms is all I want to know. I mean, you say when. <laughs> and tattoos, right? Yeah. You get matching obvi- tattoos. Obviously, yeah. No, I have yes. I have the uh I have the uh, show artwork tattooed on my back. Yes. <laughs> like a whole your whole back. Yeah, the entirety of my back, you know, like I just got divorced. <laughs> just the real divorce tattoo. She said that's the most divorced tattoo. <laughs> Oh. A pot, the logo of a podcast yeah, that I'm back. in. So it's like <laughs> a tattoo of my own face on my back. <laughs> this is all I live for. This will never leave me, and we'll never leave you. No, that's a promise. We will be in your ear until you die. The last thing you will hear will be our voices, and that's what we want to say as the Spiel Boys. Um, Tom, <laughs> let's do the thing. Let's plug the things. Do, oh, do gamefully. Right, what we plug. Well, this uh this show is a is a joint project between Small Beans and Gamefully Unemployed, uh which is a network that I uh co-founded and co-host with David Bell. Um you can go over to our Patreon at patreon.com/gamefullyunemployed and find the other half of the Spielboys episodes as well as the other half of the Star Trek the Next Futurama episodes, which is the show that Dave and Michael Swaim do together, as well as other great exclusive Gamefully Unemployed podcasts and other tiers. And we have a Discord with a great community. We watch movies with our patrons every Friday night. Um, go go, go! check us out there. We also have a bunch of free shows you can find just wherever you listen to podcasts. Like you're listening to this one right now. Um, and we also have a store. Head to GamefullyUnemployed.com. You can find a link to our Teespring store where we have all kinds of cool stuff there. Um, and I think that's about it. Follow us on the socials. Abe, you, you say words now. Yeah, so here's the deal, is that you'll notice that this is a a free episode, right? This episode is public immediately. So all all the things that Tom said is true. 
Uh, and we're just doing this because we want people to know that this show exists. Uh, but yeah, that's that's the rub. If you want more of the show, you got to come to Small Beans uh, Patreon and you got to get Gamefully Unemployed Patreon and get the whole caboodle. Um, but here in terms of Small Beans business, as you know, the, the all the hubbub right now is about our movie, Papa Bear, which has started our crowdfunding campaign. Um, and that is basically because Michael and I are making a movie and we're trying to raise money right now. And you can help us do that uh, in order to make a movie this year by the end of the year. And the uh, the link that you're going to get, which will be in this description, is a seedandspark.com slash fun slash papa bear. Or I should say papa dash bear. Um, and that will take you to our crowdfunding page. Please drop us a dime uh, and help us make our dreams come true. And if you're interested in the project and getting involved, uh, hit us up because we're just looking for for help in all directions um little small beans business <clears throat> when this comes out if you look at the small beans fee you're gonna see uh we got a, a frame rate coming up that we're talking monty python and the holy grail we got more episodes of uh i'll show you mine if you show me yours more episodes of the show that tom mentioned which is star trek the next futurama uh, and we got a director piece theater with Adam Ganser and myself talking about movies, kind of like we do here, but in a more director way. Um, and that's kind of what's up on the slate for Small Beans. Thank you for joining us here today. And I think that's everything that we wanted to say. Oh, yeah. Patreon.com slash Small Beans. That's where yeah. you're porter for all things related to this podcast as well. Um, it's been a pleasure, my ah, friend. Every time, man. Every time. Mm hmm. I love you. I love you. I love Stevie. I love movies. I love Stevie. Let's 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 play ourselves out. Oh god, <laughs> yes. Spielboys are watching Stevie's movies. Spielboys are watching Stevie's movies. Spielboys are watching Stevie's movies. Spiel.